Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 23 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates. Um, I'm, I'm long overdue for uh, a conversation to bring my friend Kevin Mullins back. So Kevin's been uh, a prior guest. And if uh, you're not explicitly familiar, he's the director of product development and personal training at The St. James. And uh, you're a coach within uh, John Russin's PPSC program. And uh, you're also a very prolific writer. You're an author. Uh, your book, Day by Day, uh, is one of the ones that made my book list on my Facebook, uh, uh, you know, my recommended books for last year. It's a page-a-day book, a lot of wisdoms from your very extensive coaching career as a, as a you know, on-the-floor gym trainer before you kind of moved into a lot of the, I don't, I don't want to, I don't know if the word administrative, you know, certainly. No. Uh, That's um, the word. It's certainly, you know, a leadership role in, in the businesses that you've been involved in for sure, right? So I guess, well, I always like to start with this, like, so what have you been most focused on the last few months? And I'm going to open up to what are some of your, you know, future career goals? What are some of the things that you are, want to pursue? Because I want to talk in terms of goals. I mean, it's going to be the first, it's the first episode released of the new year. Okay. So I, I enjoy these two pronged questions. So over the last year, it's been an interesting uh, transition for me. I went from being a trainer on the gym floor who in between sessions, I was eager to come home and create content for my social media, for websites, for articles. I wrote day by day, other little eBooks that are on my site. And then all of a sudden my job became creating content and not for my own benefit or for sharing purposes, but SOPs for how a department should run, uh, education for group fitness professionals or personal trainers or strength and conditioning coaches, the actual concepts we launched uh, that are group fitness classes. Obviously, that's taken a hit in a COVID world. But nonetheless, my job quite literally became sit in meetings, look at numbers and spreadsheets, uh, and be given a directive from my CEOs, hey, build this. And so then the next thing I know, I come home and I'm like, not writing an article. I'm nope, not doing it. I'm done with the laptop. Um, and so my attention has really shifted towards building the St. James. Um, and I take a lot of pride in that because, you know, as much as I want to build Kevin Mullins and Kevin Mullins fitness, it took swallowing a pill and, and being able to say, Hey, use your skills for someone else's benefit now. Um, to that end, you mentioned I joined uh, Dr. John Russin Klotarski over at the PPSC. I'm a master instructor. So the last couple of months, uh, prior to the heavy shutdowns again, I did do six events, uh, Reno, Nevada, Seattle, twice, um, San Francisco, Palo Alto. I did one at the St. James. That was pretty cool. I got to be host and instructor. So that was like a super stressful. It would be like hosting a house party, but you're also the DJ. So you're like making sure everybody's having a good time, but also you need to entertain. So that was a lot of work. Um, but then projecting forward, I'm really excited for 2021 and beyond because after a year of diving in the weeds and doing a lot of kind of mundane content for St. James, I have found that I have a little bit more time to re-engage with my own brand, uh, to re-engage with the PPSC and just do some more stuff. So I've been uh, writing content for getppsc.com the updated website that David Otay really manages the content over there. Um, I have been writing some stuff that I will be releasing on my blog as well. 
as a little ebook on making the transition from hi, I wake up at 6 a.m. or earlier and train all day to I'd like to see what it's like on the other side. So it's sort of like tales from the other side um, that I'm excited. And I don't, you know, I'm not releasing it to make a million dollars. I'm not trying to be a seven figure, eight figure, nine figure fitness professional. Uh, but I think there are a lot of trainers that are curious what it's like to be a manager or a director and have, you know, what's it like to sit in a room and look at all these numbers on a KPI and actually understand what it means downrange in the business. Um, so I'm excited for that. Um, and honestly, I'm just most excited to travel. I know that has nothing to do with Eric, but my biggest goal is as soon as they give us a green light, I'm booking a flight with my wife and we're going somewhere. I don't care where, but I'm going somewhere. Um, there's, there's a whole bunch of embedded stuff in there. And obviously you and I had talked about a couple of things you wanted to chat about. And you and I have, I'll, I'll dance around this one, then we'll go right into it. Um, you know, I have some very different philosophies about, uh, you know, social media growth and that sort of thing. And I suspect in, in a big way, it, it stems from the, the role you're in versus the type of role I'm in. I talked recently with John Russin on the podcast about, you know, he's assembled a, a really amazing team. You mentioned uh, David Otey. We were talking uh, about Logan Dubay, who I, John contacted me to bring the PPSC up here to Edmonton. So Logan was the instructor here and Logan's amazing. And, I, and knowing you, what you have in that organization and Clifton, Clifton's incredible, are a group of people who, while have very strong identities of their own and, and great skill sets, no one in that group has a screaming need to be an independent, attention-seeking, you know, individual brand as much as they're all really, really happy to be part of a very awesome team. So John and I talk a lot about that. If anyone's interested, we can go back to that episode. But, you know, as, you know, a leader, as a, as a manager, you just talked about how you're creating things to, you know, support other people. And I, th I know that one of the things with this industry is there's not necessarily a lot of roles like that within the industry, right? So, um, and I think... I sometimes forget that a little bit because I worked in the commercial gym setting and I never had any interest in doing the managerial career track, right? It just wasn't something I wanted to do. I always liked the idea of, you know, being a trainer and a coach and you can affect and help a lot more people on that managerial track. So I want you to talk a little bit about this stuff. Um, but I guess if you decide to go down that road, building a very big individual brand, especially with social media and social media following isn't really a priority. Whereas I think with a lot of the coaches, who are out there and they're trying to build their own brand name. You know, me personally, I'm a very big advocate because I went and did it. So I believe it can be done. And I think a lot of people tell themselves lies about why they can't, but I'm a big advocate for, you know, doing everything you can to reach more people, to have greater influence, to obviously be able to attract more clientele. And I, I often will say this, especially instead of complaining about the, the Jillian Michaels who recently put her foot in her mouth saying stupid things. Oh. Our industry went off about it. And, you know, it's one thing if, you, if you're going to complain constructively, but then share something like uh, my friend uh, Dan Feldman had a really good post. Lane Norton obviously tends to attack these sort of things. And Lane's built a very big yeah. platform and people can criticize Lane all they want for his style, but I've always really appreciated him. He's keen to get away with it. So I'll throw it back to you in, in terms of your thoughts about, you know, uh, your approach to social media, 
you know, brand growth and anything that fits in under that umbrella. I mean, my approach to social media is I like it just as much as anyone else. That dopamine hit from getting a comment or a like, that, that's rich, man. Um, but I think what it starts with for me, and I don't want to speak for anyone else, including some of the people we've already mentioned, because I can only truly ascertain what I'm oriented to, is I grew up in a military family, and that's kind of a very quiet professional type of mindset, right? And if you know anyone in special operations, you know, somebody doesn't go overseas, take out a bad guy, uh, and then come back and be like, yo, guess what I did last weekend? That Bin Laden dude got him. That filled oh, the end up on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, although O'Neill did in fact end up writing a book and kind of got ousted by the SEAL community, but that's a whole different community. Um, it, that's a whole nother conversation in and of itself. But nonetheless, the point is, is I, I sort of take that. Um, I like social media. I do post. I'm infrequent. I go through spurts. I took a, uh, a Udemy class on like how to build followers organically. Like I've tried, but it doesn't inspire me. And I think that's the important thing. Like if you wake up and you've got this thing you want to say, do it. Like actually do it because it's a part of who you are. For me, I thrive on in-person interactions. I absolutely love if I'm in the facility and even if I've got work to do and the trainer on our staff, even though I'm not their direct boss, I don't manage them. I create content. But if they say, hey, Kev, um, you know, what is X, Y, or Z? I would love to take 20 minutes out of my day and just do it more interpersonal. Um, and I don't, I don't feel I need to make a big scene out of that. I, I really enjoy having interpersonal relationships. And, you know, my favorite compliment, as much as I like a social media like, or dude, you're awesome, heart, 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 eggplant, heart, 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 eggplant. Um, I really like when someone's like, hey, I was talking to so-and-so the other day and they had something great to say about you. To me, that's my favorite type of social media, not to be corny, but is when, you know, you like when you were with Logan and you leave me a little message. Hey, talking to Logan, we have nice things to say about you. Hope you're doing well. Got to get you back on the podcast soon. Like that, that made my day because that was a real authentic human interaction. And there are a lot of people such as yourself that are, are putting out authentic, thoughtful, scientifically valid, uh, good intention work. I love when you post your book list. I, I'm going to spend a lot of money in the next couple months because of you. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the bulk, unfortunately, of social media is a lot of look at me. And I get it. We all want to be loved. And especially in a day and age where you can't even go out to a bar in your best outfit and get a little bit of I love. Like it's, I get it. And so I don't hold it against anyone. I'm just speaking for myself. I, I enjoy longer term projects, including building people. That's one of the reasons I love being a master instructor for the PPSC is it's like, I spend 16 hours with content. That's a long time to work on a project, if you will, or, you know, an ebook or an article versus here's a great deadlift variation that I did in my workout today. Throw me likes, please. Well, because this is a great topic to flush out. I, ho I hope the coaches who are kind of you know, thinking about social media and their grander careers really dive into this. I mean, I mentioned you in a recent article I had, and that article mm -hmm. did really, really well. It got, uh, you know, you and I tend to get a lot of love from the uh, personal trainer development centers uh, lists, right? You had the 
you know, your article was the top article of the year last year, which was really cool. Yeah. The previous year, I had the top article in the career category. So I, yeah. that stuff, that recognition feels good. Yeah, it's nice. But, uh, you know, so I had a recent article. It just made the, the weekly list mm -hmm. this past week. And, you know, I grabbed a couple of examples of people who I thought were doing it right, who have larger followings. Uh, I mentioned Marcy Nevin, who was a recent podcast guest. 80,000 followers. And then uh, Kurt Rollins, who's got about 100,000. And then the next section, I mentioned you and uh, Josh Hillis, who's a yep. really great guy, really great reputation. And way stronger than me. What's that? I said he's way stronger than me too. Joshua Hillis is stronger than you. I find that very unlikely. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I, I just picture him as like that just behemoth inside oh. of his heart. Maybe not like you, like you're an actual behemoth. Yeah. You're, you're a big boy, right? Logan was talking about you and David Ote being meatheads and lifting when we were uh, when uh, Logan was here. But uh, so back on track, um, you know, I mentioned you and Joshua Hillis. You guys have mountains of coaching experience, like just tons and tons and tons of experience. It's astonishing, you know, the coaching hours you have on a gym floor. And you're still a young guy. Yeah. But, you know, you guys combined have 5,000 Instagram followers and it's never been part of your mission. So the whole point of it was, you know, the number of, we know this, the number of followers someone has is not a good metric of the quality of their information. Mm -hmm. You just see Jillian Michaels putting out some of the worst information in our industry. She's over a million. But again, you know, I think that if a coach wants to, and they want to grow a personal brand, I think one of the more valuable things that they can possibly do is to work on a lot of different things. And some of that's that long, that big, slow burning career stuff that will support social media, but to engage with social media and, and really getting engaged and not just post to generate likes, but to actually like talk to people. I, I get in and I send a mountain of voice messages to new followers, you know, people who are kind enough to share my stuff, like real, you know, authentic interactions. That is an important and essential part of my approach to social media. It's one of the reasons why my social media blew up this year. Yeah. But I, I you did too. Yeah, and I just try to share this stuff so other coaches can see, hey, you can do this. But I think it's really important not just to do the posts and that, you know, hey, it's up for one day and then it's forgotten and you can't search it in, you know, anywhere. Um, to complement it with long form article writing, which is something you and I very much share. Um, you know, this podcast is a type of long form media. You know, if someone, YouTube has never been something I've had a feel for. So therefore, yeah. I feel like there's definitely some effort that goes into it. And I already do a lot of things, but a lot of people listening and watching are probably doing YouTube and hopefully working on trying to do it really, really well. So I feel like all of these things add up and having these, you know, you have the PPSC, you have the recognition of, you know, how successful your article writing is, but you have this book, which is big, right? You know, having a book, same thing with Josh Hillis. Josh Hillis has a book and those pieces of career capital are very validating when someone comes across your social media and goes, oh, wow, this person is an author. You know, one of the things that I, I, I'm very proud of it, but I write for T Nation, right? So that one is an important part of my brand. And when someone comes in and sees that, well, oh shit, this guy's a T Nation writer, bam. Okay, that's a, that's a validating thing. And they're actually more likely to turn around and follow your social media, engage with what you're doing. If you have these pieces of recognizable career capital, so this is why I also encourage coaches to, you know, not everybody needs a website, but I think it's a great idea for most. Mm -hmm. Not everybody needs to write long form articles. I think it's a great idea, right? So let's throw the ball again back to you. 
to you know elaborate your thoughts on some of the stuff I just said. I think there, there's a lot to unpack. Let's start with that last point. I think a website is imperative for the very least of people just should have a, a landing page for you. Um, and even if it's not a fancy website, if you're not, you don't plan on writing articles, you don't plan just like, there's your face. This is what you do. Here's a couple of success stories. Here's how to contact you at the very minimum. But the most powerful thing that has perpetuated throughout the entirety of our entire species existence is the ability to communicate. And I think more than ever in today's modern world, writing continues to stand the test of time. No matter how much we want to switch to video and, you know, I know TikTok is everything now, but people like to read still if you write well. And I think your website is the perfect place to write well. When I go back and I read some of the very first pieces that I put on my site, I'm like, oh my goodness, I, what was I saying? I'm talking in circles. My grammar is absolute dog shit. Um, big walls of text, stuff like that. And, you know, it's, it's sort of a proving ground for you to work on ideas. Um, it's a place for you to harmlessly get better. No different than a workout that you're not posting, right? So funny about the social media thing is John's on my ass about like, hey, you need to post yourself working out more. I'm like, my workout is sort of like my fucking time. Like I, I, I'll do it here and there, but by and large, I just want to put on a dope playlist, put my phone to the side and just train. Um, because sometimes I get really experimental, not quite like Cliff Harsky, 17 kettlebells and a weird band experimental, but like, I'm just like, Hey, I'm going to move this weight in a direction that I probably shouldn't, but let's see what happens. Um, and so yeah, that's, that's what a website is for is I, I see it as this amazing kitchen to just fuck around in and, make new recipes. And if it sucks, you're the only one who has to eat it. And the best part about a website is you can just delete it. So, but it gets you going somewhere. And, and for me, my start launched when in 2014, Men's Health Magazine did a nationwide search for people to compete on a reality TV show. And it was a silly show that was, you know, hey, you get to win a DVD cover and you get to film your own Men's Health DVD. And, you know, I didn't win, but it sort of launched me into a place of like, people know who you are. And I had a whole bunch of people say, hey, you're about to be like in people's conversations, you should have a website. And then, you know, the rest sort of happened. So everyone should have a website. And, and then going to the social media, I think the most important thing is have a reason to post. That's it. When it comes to posting, if, if your reason is omnipresence because you're launching a project, or a product, hey, that's a reason. If your reason is, man, I had this moment in my workout earlier and, and it felt like an epiphany and it is in my chest and I need to share it, then do that too. Um, but yeah, and I also like how you bring up uh, the idea of interacting. And I think that's where I live a little bit more. I may not post as much, but I do try my best to interact. If you comment on something, I'm gonna throw you a comment back. If you message me, um, with anything other than, hey, we'd like you to rep our brand that doesn't exist. Um, I will gladly message you back. Um, I'm very happy that I hold a lot of relationships with the students who've attended PPSCs. Um, you know, I've got to travel the country and teach 
at this point, a couple hundred people, the course, and I'll still get a message every other day. Hey, what, what is this again? Or this, that, or the other. And to me, that is the beauty of social media is that's a one-on-one conversation that I don't have their phone number, but they have a way to reach me. And we have built an interpersonal relationship via a platform. Yeah, there's so many different approaches stuff. It's funny, you mentioned TikTok. And TikTok is easy to malign. Easy, very, very easy. But, um, you know, my, my friend Chad Hargrove, who's been a recent guest, he's done really well with it. And it's probably some of the same philosophy. Jordan Syed is also was trying to encourage me to do TikTok. And for me, it was just one too many things to try to get into. But they've gone into that space. And what's actually happened is they've grown very, very rapid following. Now, again, following is not everything. But Chad also mentions how he did a story series just yesterday. Um, and by the time you hear this, it'll be gone, unfortunately, where you know industry leaders had told him a few years ago, don't worry about Instagram. You're not going to get clients from Instagram. But Chad went and you know started posting every day. Doing He was early in on the infographics. And pretty quickly, he built up over 100,000 followers and has an awesome clientele base out of Instagram. It's a great resource for him. So that works for him. He's since pivoted to being very active on TikTok and he's finding the same thing despite people saying, don't use TikTok. So my only real thought on and that is, you know, as much as people will malign and make fun of TikTok, if you like the idea, if you're kind of interested in it, it's not that dissimilar from Instagram, then there is room to grow in there where there's not necessarily a lot of really amazing content creators, especially if you're doing, if, if you have a style that's really great for TikTok. So Lee, Ben Carpenter, they do really fun stuff on TikTok, right? Um, and they've jumped into that space and, and I have little doubt so he's doing great with it. And it's not necessary. it can be very superficial and vapid and useless, just like Instagram can be if you choose to go down that road. Or I think if you approach it the right way, there's an opportunity to create, you know, these interactive relationships. And ultimately, the more eyes and ears that know about you as a reputable per- part of our industry, you know, if you're in the business, especially something like online training, mm-hmm. and I think these are vehicles, you, you may want to choose one and work pretty hard at it. You know, I like Facebook traditionally, I find it not a big fan of it this past year, because I went hard <laughs> on Instagram, but I find it's just, it's a negative cesspool of, you know, a lot of politics and other just, just garbage. But, you know, I've decided I need to go back into it and just post on my terms, practical stuff, be top of mind again, because, you know, everything took a bit of a hit, you know, just with the second closure or whatever. And I'm going to have a crazy busy year. I'll be full. But I also need to make sure I'm serving that audience and that pipeline, you know, for potential reach out and referrals that I've always done for years very well. I recently, uh, I've been going through books like, um, what was it? The Prosperous Coach, which is really good. And I'm reading, uh, getting clients from referrals, uh, Jonathan Goodman and, and uh, PP, uh, sorry, PPC, uh, PTDC's book. And then what's the other one? Oh, I'm going to do uh, Book Yourself Solid by Michael Port, which is really good. Because I want to plug into this kind of stuff because I want that stuff to be so automatic and, and top of mind. I'm doing those things. So that way I'm as busy as I want to be. And then I can focus my energy and my effort on all the other projects while making sure I maintain those behaviors. And with social media and having that omnipresence, if you choose to go down that road, it can be valuable. I have plans to expand my online training business this year. I want to be a bit more robust. I really love the in-person stuff, but the events of the past year, you know, show us that we have to be more um, versatile in our income streams. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm 
already seeing, and, and I fully expect that with that social media growth, I will have organic, just people reach out to me. I'll never cold uh, solicit. That's never going to be something I do. Um, I'll interact with people just genuinely because I want to interact with them. But if someone turns around and asks me, hey, they want to do online coaching. And I always make, I both make fun of quote business coaches. And I've said in the past, I don't offer any services for that sort of thing. But I've had a couple of people ask me recently if I do mentorship. And I finally said, okay, you know, let's get on a video call, let's chat. And they're very like straight up, no, nope, I really want to do this. So I'm going to do it in a very limited capacity. I made a story post mentioning it, a whole bunch of goals I have for the year. And I got a bunch of messages. So all of a sudden now I'm pretty much at my intended capacity for that, that mentorship. If someone serious inquires, I'm not going to say no, but I'm, it's not a service. I'm not all of a sudden a business coach. So but you mentor me how to be as tall as you. I don't think that's going to work. Um, there, there's this meme that circulates. It's like some, some girl, and I, I don't know if it's, it's gotta be a spoof. She's like, there's no excuse for guys to be under six feet, get in the gym. It's like, what? Yeah. What I'm sure somebody <laughs> still thinks that. Um, yeah. To each, to each your, your own, uh, you know, if you are interested in social media brand growth, then, you know, I've been trying to document a lot of that stuff as I've gone on, especially if you're following my social media, but if you're interested in a different path, if you are interested in, how can I become, you know, a person who manages mentors, uh, you know, within organizations? Right? I, I, first thing I'm going to tell them is, is literally to go follow you and to contact you is to message you straight up because you mm -hmm. have all the experience in that realm. And there are going to be coaches who are on that track who are interested in that. So, you know, again, any further thoughts, uh, you know, the, the stuff you wanted to unpack in this conversation? So one thing I just want to point out really funny is you point out, you know, how TikTok works and I, you're right that you can grow in any platform if you use it consistently and correctly. Funny, funny fact, about a year ago, I got a client from Call of Duty because my PlayStation name is Trainer Kevin because I was like, ah, just, just advertise everything I do. And I got a message and the guy was like, are you Kevin Mullins of Kevin Mullins Fitness? I was like, uh, yeah, this is super creepy. What? And he's like, I follow your stuff. Da, 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 da. I want to train with you. And then like, I literally like played a Call of Duty match and was like getting to know this person. So any platform in today's modern world, in today's COVID world could potentially get you a client. Um, you have that common ground of interest in Call of Duty, which just cements that relationship. Because oh, yeah. If you look at other potential coaches, but there's like, wait a second, this guy's in a call of duty. I'd love this shit. Yeah. Talk Man. about build talk about building rapport. You guys are both like the same choice, four-letter words. It's it's great. Um, but anyway, uh, I think rule number one is if you want to help others, and this is gonna take a little bit of a, a less uh businessy approach here, but um, you have to know yourself. Um, and it took me training for over a decade, hitting about 20,000 sessions and group fitness classes uh, to realize, okay, I can easily put my head down. I can work through a week. I can do 90 sessions, you know, in a paid period type of thing. Um, all the certifications, all that experience, all, all that stuff. And then it took me learning who I am as a person and as a man of like, okay, I've gone through some mental stuff. 2016, I had quite the mental breakdown, uh, probably because I was a workaholic who thrived on spike energy and then whiskey on the weekends. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, getting to know that and then realizing the pitfalls 
and the, the, the traps that you don't see until you hit them, that's when you can actually mentor someone because, and I'm going to go on a little bit of a soapbox here. You can't help someone until you failed. You cannot mentor someone. You cannot coach someone until you fucked up yourself because you only know the good, right? Think about some of the best athletes in the world. They never become coaches. Why? Because it became easy. To, it, it came easy to them. They had natural abilities that others didn't have. They didn't have to deal with certain problems that the average player would have to deal with. And so, you know, you do not see a ton of Hall of Fame quality players in any sport become the head coach or even assistant coaches. You know, I'm a big football fan. I'm a Baltimore Raven fan. And for years, Ravens have been, you know, fans have been trying to get Ray Lewis or Ed Reed to become a coach for the defense because they were the greatest. And you're like, they were great because they were great. And so to backpedal out of a, a weird analogy is just, I don't, you can't help someone until you've made some mistakes and picked yourself back up and been like, oh shit, I should not do that again. Because then when you give someone advice or you're mentoring a young trainer or you're managing a team, you actually can see the entire playing field instead of this ideological, everything is flowers and sunny days mindset. And I think that's where a lot of young fitness or training managers end up failing at the corporate level is they may not have had a very busy book themselves. They were always interested in management and they transitioned as quick as they could because stable paychecks, mm-hmm. here I am, they're nice. Um, but they didn't gain clients, get busy, get burnt out, then lose clients and have to go. You know, I joke sometimes that a trainer's book over the, if you look at a trainer's book over the course of a decade, it looks a little bit like the stock market. It's like these massive influxes and then it'll hold for a while where the market is pretty level. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, 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 I was fine two weeks ago. And now I've lost four clients because of X, Y, or Z. If you haven't gone through that, you can't coach other people because you don't know how to problem solve problems. And so I think more often than not, it's like, Hey, you should absolutely be full-time. Hey, it's just as simple as meeting leads on the floor. You got to be here. You got to do. Okay. We get that obviously showing up is the first victory. Right. But like for me, I think where I have excelled and what has helped me grow myself, my career offline, and also become a personality of sorts online and in the, in the industry is I've made a lot of mistakes. I almost got fired from my first training job because I was 22 and still going out hardcore because I was 22. And my boss was like, hey, what do you want to do? Do you want to be a party boy or do you want to be a trainer? And I was like, oh, I want to be a trainer. And so I turned it around and I did overbook myself. I did over 200 sessions in a single month. And I've realized that that's not sustainable. And I've done a lot of these things. I've chased certifications that I thought were worth a ton. And then I realized we're not at all applicable. And it, it allows me to listen to what a trainer says to me and be like, oh, I really know where you're coming from versus, well, you just got to do X, Y, or Z because that's what I did. It's like the law profession. And I'll finish on this thought. It's like I, I've, being in DC, I've trained dozens of lawyers and you learn about their profession. You want to talk about a billable hours profession. And it's very much a profession that needs to adapt of 
do better quality work and bill less hours. And then the client would pay less money. You'd have lawyers that are happier and have better work-life balance. And the law firm wouldn't have to give such massive bonuses at the end of the year so you don't jump off a bridge. Everyone would benefit from a change to that work environment. But every single lawyer that becomes a partner got there by working 2,000, 3,000 hours a year. And so when they get the young junior associate, they're like, well, you just got to do it like I did it. You know, there ain't no working but working. And it perpetuates itself. And so my hope is to sort of shake up the status quo a little bit of like, you can train your whole life and that's awesome. You can also do this, 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 or this. Oh, I, there, there's a lot of awesome in there. Well, you just, I rant, I'm sorry. No, that's good. <laughs> uh, what you described about the legal profession is, is quite notorious in the medical professional as well, uh, profession as well, going up through medical school and the kind of hours that interns and residents are, are notorious for putting in. And there's a big resistance that cultural change or has been pressure for a while because you know, <clears throat> lawyers making mistakes can, can really be catastrophic, but a doctor who is underslept making a mistake uh, will kill people on the regular. So, you know, that, that culture is something that's very dangerous and, and has a need to be deconstructed and, and rebuilt. And to a certain degree, I think in different places it has. Uh, yeah, that makes sense with the, I see, I'm still of that mindset. I, I like the, the session volume hours. Mm -hmm. I never, ever did 200 sessions in a month. I, I why you still like it. <laughs> I got over 190 once, but I've got a 10-year historical average of 140 sessions a month. So you know, dude, you, you're you know, knocking on the door too. You're at that. That puts you at about 17,000. Yeah, totally right. I mean, I, I think everybody listening, you don't have to do stuff like that. Not everybody has my bandwidth, right? You know, I don't have a family. Um, I don't have some of those other responsibilities that, you know, a lot of people do. So, you know, that's not for everybody. And when you say 140 hours a month, you're like, oh, well, you know, 40 hours a week is 106. No, 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 no. It's not like you pack those in one after another, after another. <laughs> those are fairly long days. And then, you know, in the last few years, it's been very heavy on a lot of other pursuits. I mean, the, you know, the podcast generally takes, uh, I would say, you know, four to five hours of total effort a week to run, right? And that's a weekly thing. Uh, you know, writing, anyone who thinks that article writing, you're going to pump out an article in 30 minutes, you're, you're nuts. You know, I, I've, I remember when I first met Eric Bach, and I know Jordan Syed has said similar things. You know, it's, it's not uncommon to see eight to 10 or more hours per article. And I probably am higher than that for every single article that I write. So they take time. I mean, you're not, not everybody's getting one or two of those out a week. Like uh, my, my buddy Gareth Sapps said, the fitness maverick, he just pumps them out. And some people are great at it. You know, yeah. I'm very, very deliberate and meticulous in my editing process. And based on your facial expressions, you're the same as me. And then there's, you know, if you have an online coaching complement to your business, which, you know, I really believe is the future. I know Jonathan Goodman has been very, very vocal on that for years. Very. And we're seeing now, you know, the disruption of, of the, the pandemic. And then the gatekeepers who, you know, took years before they got online will do the same thing. And they'll say, hey, you, you need to be. And, I, and this is actually a John Russell quote, uh, so I'll tease him a little bit on that, but it's like, you need to, you know, have a minimum of five years of coaching in person on the floor um, before you can go online, right? And I don't know if John still believes that, but I, I fundamentally disagree with that idea because, you know, we're going to have, let's say during the lockdowns, you get a coach who's been working for nine months and they've got a little bit of a clientele of commercial gym and all of a sudden locked out of their gym and their clients want you know, the help and maybe they can train them virtually or do, you know, 
programs for them or whatever. And the clients really love them. And they, they know how to work with these clients. Does that trainer nine months in not have the, the right to do online service to take care of their clients, that which the clients want? Do they have to just starve to get out of the business or can they turn around and create a, a second revenue stream? So I think being on the floor is an essential part of being the best coach you can possibly be as an in-person trainer or an online trainer. I think that's critical. But in less than ideal circumstances, um, you know, everybody has the right to do it. They better work very hard. It's your personal responsibility to be phenomenal and really, really hone your craft as an online trainer and be great at it. But, you know, the, we get these people, I don't like complaining about them, but, you know, online influencer types who have no coaching experience grow a following and then they start offering online programs. Those people exist. They're not certified. They're not going away. And no amount of complaining about them is going to make them go away. So we as leaders in the industry, I mean, I'm 10 years in now, right? I can use language like that. We have two choices. Tell new trainers, you can't do it until this certain threshold, or we can be part of putting a lot of great information out there to make those coaches passable if they're very inexperienced, capable if they've got a little bit of experience and absolutely phenomenal as they go forward. And I'm really interested in being part of the latter group instead of policing and gatekeeping what you know, new entrants can do. Because those new entrants, if you tell them, hey, you can't do this, they're going to tune you the fuck out. And then they're just going to go listen to someone else anyway. And that person may not be as ethical. They, they may try to sell them you know, a poor system for a lot of money instead of, you know, what, are, what are, you guys are you and me doing? We're not charging to teach people how to do online training. We're just like sharing a lot of information just yeah. to help people, right? You know, that's, there's an overabundance of these articles and podcasts and whatnot. That's all free. My so, stance has adapted, man, over the years. It's so funny watching, like listening to you talking about it. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah this is definitely me. I think everyone has the right to it. I, I don't want to ever speak for how someone writes a post. But I think the better way of saying it is, you might not be great at online coaching unless you've had about five years of experience on the floor because there it's just something to troubleshooting a deadlift on the fly or seeing a client come in after a work trip or just coaching exercise and building your database of cues. Like not even the hard stuff, just you know, building that database of, hey, think about doing it like X where you've done it with a couple of clients and you're like, oh shit, that cue really works. I need to keep that one. Um, that you just can't teach. You know, I was, uh, I was just mentoring someone the other day at work about how to get into writing. And, you know, I was like, there is no other thing you can do, but writing, just write, even if you never publish it, just get that muscle work. And the same thing goes with coaching, like getting your hours in with real people cannot be replaced. You, you can take all the certifications you want. You can follow all the best in the industry. You know, you can read everything that you and I and everyone we associate with has ever written. But until you've coached a session, whew, it's just different. And so I think the real way of saying it is everyone has the right. It's sort of like uh, the, the Constitution, right? Or is it the Declaration of Independence? It's the Declaration of Independence. I'm a bad American right now. But the pursuit of happiness. We're all entitled to the right to pursue an online business. But don't be surprised if you're brand spanking new and you only sell one package per client because you're not necessarily doing the things that a coach who's been around the game and is considering the considerables is going to be able to provide. Because to your point, I'm proud that I've matured 
beyond the angsty Kevin years. Cause you know, and we talked about this when I was on the last podcast about with group fitness. And there's a lot of people that are like, group is stupid. Why would you take Zumba? Go deadlift. But then I realized I'm like, look, if that's what you're going to do. Why am I going to be the negative influence in your life? You're just going to tune me out. And then you don't like me. So then you're never going to listen to what I have to say. I could just be like, yeah, by all means, go dance your ass off. I'll see you tomorrow. We're deadlifting. Like, that sort of attitude. And so the same thing with the next generation, like, ah, bah humbug, you kids and your Instagram. Huh. In my day, I had to show up at the gym. But like, that's great and all, but then they're just going to tune you out and post another TikTok and make three times what you make while you sadly sip Jim Beam and wonder about what happened to the good old days of training. Oh, that was fantastic. I, need to, <laughs> I, I got to think about a timestamp for that little rant because I... I <laughs> that one out that was really good (laughs) i'm weird man and i'm honestly like this is a complete aside i've only gotten a little bit weirder during COVID. like i how i'm still married i don't know my wife has seen all my impersonations like kermit the frog i do arnold for everything i'm like andrew you got to get down if you're not gonna lift or do the podcast you know and like i'm just doing it all day and i find myself getting on a work call and i'm like what's up everybody oh hi hi everyone sorry like, I've gotten weirder, man. DC has some pretty strict lockdowns. And so I'm like, hmm. Wow. Let's circle back to the goal stuff. You know, if you, how do you approach goal setting? I mean, I've been posting recently about kind of mentality of like goals and obviously behavioral goals, the, you know, the, the stuff, the deliberate stuff you can do every day versus, you know, setting your sights on an outcome. And that obviously relates exactly to things like weight loss and what our clients will do. Uh, versus resolutions. And, and while that word resolution is, is ever present, I always like reframing it a little bit because I firmly believe that when people go in with resolution as sort of a, a mindset, there's a built-in expiry to that. It's a, well, I'm going to give it the good old try. And they know full fucking well that, you know, it'll last two weeks to six weeks, and then they're just going to go back to everything else. But I really do feel like the use of and the thinking in terms of resolutions it has a, that built-in expiry. It's very short-term in its approach. And I, I do like to get people to think in terms of you know, everyday behavioral goals instead. So you know, thoughts going into goal setting for 2021, anything personal or certainly advice to anyone listening? So advice-wise, I would like to share my thoughts on the idea of a resolution. And I know you'll be able to relate. So growing up, I was a bit of a gamer. Um, I still play here and there, especially during quarantine. You got to kill time somehow. Um, but I would play like these RPG games, role-playing games. And every now and again, you'd get down the road and you'd realize your characters were really weak and like you missed a bunch of stuff and then you'd start over. And to me, that points to a human desire of starting over. And so I think one of the things about a resolution, because you're right, resolutions by and large, fail because people don't build a plan to go along with this ideology of, I'm going to do this. But let's work with that inspiration. Let's work with this desire to start over. The seasons change if you live in the right part of the earth, but the seasons change, things adapt. But if we, if we coach correctly, we take that resolution And then we help them explore it. So for me, the most important thing about goal setting is the question, how do you feel when you've accomplished this goal? Because I need them to start uh, 
uh, assuming success is going to happen. And I need them to consider how they feel about themselves because that right there is going to be the motivator. You know, people talk about dangling the carrot out in front of people as goal setting. And yeah, if you're like, hey, remember you want to lose 10 pounds? But if, if the person gives you, I would feel so empowered at my friend's beach wedding in July, looking my absolute best because a lot of my friends saw me gain the weight. I really want to hit that. And I just want to, I want to feel sexy. Okay, boom. That is the motivation. It's not the 10 pounds. It's not the 15 pound resolution. It is this feeling and the feeling is what's going to keep them motivated. And so tying it back around, resolutions are feelings. Goals are feelings. You have to build the action plan. I want a Lamborghini. I would love to go downstairs, hit a little button and hear that Italian purr. Have I necessarily aligned my life to put a Lamborghini Huracan in my garage? Probably not. I'd be in investment banking or a nine-figure, 10-figure fitness business coach or whatever, renting and leasing cars for my Instagram ads. But nonetheless, (laughs) sorry, I had to. But nonetheless, for goal setting, the most important thing is you have to pull your goal apart. What is the emotion that you feel when you achieve it? What is the emotion you feel right now having not achieved it? So for me, I'll share my goal is I'm refocusing on my physical dominance. Over the last three to five years, I have excelled because my intellectual ability, my writing ability, my presenting, my personality, my coaching, my mentorship, my leadership. But in that, because to quote Mark Manson, you only got so many fucks to give, my workouts have, and it's, It's hard to admit in public, but I do not prioritize my own training. I do not attack the gym. I go through phases just like anyone else where I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'll see my body start getting a little tighter and bigger and stronger and ripped. And then it's not that I skip workouts. It's not that I eat Doritos on the couch. It's just, I don't go at it with a priority. I'm like, okay, I got X, Y, and Z to do today. I just got to get this workout in. But now my goal is, okay, I'm very proud of the body of work I've put out there. So what is it that I'm going to feel when I regain my physical dominance? And for me, that's about the 9% I was when I competed on men's health. Granted, I was 25. I'm now 32. So metabolic metabolic rate has probably changed a little bit. But nonetheless, um, what am I going to feel? I'm going to feel like the complete package because my insecurity sometimes as a fitness coach is, well, here I am. I'm teaching all these people at this workshop how to work out. And while I'm not out of shape, I sure as hell don't look like I'm ready to take off my shirt and have a flex fest with anybody here. That dude's way bigger than me. That dude's way more ripped than me. Shit, she's got better calves than me. And so it's like, I want to complete my package because I know I bring the other stuff now. And before it was the exact opposite. When I was younger, it was, I'm going to look really good naked because I don't know shit. And so this sort of, you know, the mask versus the real person. So I've set a goal for myself you know, I'm doing cardio in the mornings. I'm getting my weight training. I'm working with some of our PPSC team that have specialties like Dr. Justin Farnsworth to get my hip correct. Cause I've sort of like any meathead love my bilateral lifts. And yet my hip is like, dude, what are you doing? Some unilateral stuff, please. And I'm actually investing in my health. I actually got my first physical in four years because I was like, Oh, I'm, I work out. I'm healthy. I don't need all this. And then I got my blood work and they're like, Hey, you're healthy, but you're moving in a direction. So maybe do a little bit more steady state cardio. And you're like, 
Yes, doctor. So I, I know that's long-winded, but it's, I only know my personal example. And so for me to bring home my, my coaching point on goal setting is let your clients have resolutions. Let your friends have resolutions. You turn them into goals by attaching emotion to them. And then you just build the plan backwards. Okay, you want this? Here's what science and, and habit behavior says we do. But always knowing that a goal at its core is an emotional thing. It's something you want. Wants are emotions, needs are not. So, you know, and need, I would argue needs are not goals because you, you actively seek to meet your needs. So there you go. I love it. I, uh, I too have to dial it up a notch with the workouts, right? I mean, I'm a big guy. Everybody kind of knows that who's seen it. <laughs> you know, should be anywhere on social media. But uh, I was sick just before Christmas. I lost about 12 pounds. Half of it is back. And, you know, that's part of my identity too. So that was sort of a, an emotional blow. I was exhausted and just, just feeling really run down. But I bounced back. And so I started doing something I haven't done in years. For years and years and years before, I mean, I started getting serious, like serious 18 years ago in a gym setting. I had these little notebooks and a pen I would bring with me and I wrote every workout down. I did that for years. Um, but I haven't tracked my workouts uh, for also many years. Right? So I recently popped up a spreadsheet and I just made up all, you know, my workouts and week over week over week, I can see what I did the previous week and I'm pushing myself and it feels good. I feel like, okay, I, I've got to just take this off of cruise control. It's not always totally cruise control, but it's felt like it at times. And I want to amp it up a bit. And then I, I was watching uh, the Fast and the Furious movies through my girlfriend, yes. not seen most of them and I love them. So we just got through five and The Rock looks terrifying. He is absolutely fucking enormous in that movie he's big so i saw this i'm like ah shit anyway so <laughs> i was training shoulders last night doing a you know a seated barbell overhead press and it just like dialed that image into my mind and i had more in the tank and i pushed mm -hmm. you know harder and you know that mental intensity to go at your workout i think it's the same sort of thing you're talking about and that image you know stirred up emotion and it's like okay cool and then again tracking it and looking at the previous weeks and whatever i'm like okay you know week over week i'm going to try to do just a little bit more and a little bit more versus ah, just haphazardly training so we as coaches can absolutely fall into that uh, and that habit and then yeah I, you know it goes back to something you said initially about you know getting into you know the role that you were in doing content full time for you know the company and then not wanting to go home and do it for yourself how many coaches do have that experience where they get really passionate about the idea of being a coach? They love working out. And then after you know, a long day of coaching people, it's like, oh, uh, you know, you're not as passionate or energized for your own workouts. For me, it's yeah. been non-negotiable. I still always work out and it's still something I look forward to. But, you know, if anybody's kind of struggled with that a little bit, you know, based on our conversation, you know, you're certainly not alone. I think that's a very real thing. I do think we have to demonstrate our own ability to, if we're going to give the advice to our clients, we have to be able to demonstrate the ability to do it ourselves and, and build in those habits and discipline. And mm -hmm. you know, one of the cliche things, every once in a while, someone will post, you know, you see a lot of this rhetoric. It's like, oh, I would never, you know, hire a trainer who looks like they need a trainer. And I, I certainly have my own problems with that blunt rhetoric. But I also have my problems with the, the, the converse idea that, oh, it doesn't matter what a trainer looks like. And, you know, that's naive too. And so I, I've said this numerous times. It's actually quote in um, the section, the nine page section I have in getting clients or referrals, Jonathan Goodman's book, where it's, you know, if you are a trainer who is struggling to be busy and who 
you know, maybe you're not in visibly the kind of shape that maybe you'd like to be in or, or stereotypically we would expect trainers to be in, then you should make every effort to work on your own physical fitness. If how you look, A, leaves you feeling a lack of confidence and B, you think that it may be contributing directly to how busy you are. Um, instead of saying, well, that's not fair. You know, I have all this knowledge. I should be busy too. Well, there's something missing in terms of marketing or, or whatnot that you can take control of to be a busier coach. And plus we do, I think this is important. We do compromise our credibility to be able to say to, to clients, people who are busy, you know, they've got kids they're you know, their lives are chaotic or whatever. And we're trying to tell them, Hey, you have to make some sacrifices or, or have the discipline to make sure you're eating right. You're getting your workouts in. So we can't really use the same excuses ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I think we do have to practice what we preach there. So obviously that's a nuanced thing. And I, and I hope no one would be offended by that sort of sentiment. And there are trainers who, yeah, you'd look at them and go, oh, that, that person's not a, you know, a physique model, but they're crazy busy. Okay, cool. There's different people, different niches, what have you. But if that person has developed the brand, the skills, the interpersonal interactions, and who knows, maybe they're not the most ripped person in the world. Maybe they're strong and flexible and, you know, there's, there's all kinds of cool stuff that they are doing physically and they're doing it on their terms. Cool. Like don't judge based on just appearances alone. But as yeah, I mean, it's a simple analogy. It's like, if you look at investing and you're, you know, you get on Google and you find an investment firm and you roll up and it's, it looks like it's in an old rundown McDonald's building. Like you clearly know that architecture. I think this was a McDonald's at one point. <laughs> you walk in and it sort of smells like someone pissed in the corner, but there's Dave and David promises to make you money. He is the guy. He, he's going to find the stocks for you that are going to allow you and your family to have your dream retirement. And more than that, you're going to achieve wealth now. And yet you're standing in fry grease from 1983. Of course you, I, I, at least I freaking hope you're not going to sign on with that investment firm. Mm-hmm. It's very similar with training. That's a very vivid, meant to be somewhat funny example. But if I'm a person that is looking to get in shape and I look at a person who looks no better off than me, I have to question whether or not this person can at least push me. And maybe they can, because it is true. Your physical condition is not reflective of your ability. I am not as ripped as I was at 25. However, I could coach circles around that guy. And I'm super confident and, and, and I, I know I can do the job. But if I'm a new client and I don't know what you know and I haven't experienced your wealth of knowledge, it's like dating. You could have an, a crazy, amazing personality. You could have a wall full of degrees and 72 kittens that you care for. But if I'm not attracted to you, I'm probably not going to buy you a drink, period. It's that simple. And so that's one of the things we run to. And this is, I don't want to launch a freaking identity politics type of conversation, but the higher human brain has adapted to consider things such as there's more to a person than their looks or, you know, X, Y, or Z. But the reptilian survival brain is still doing math underneath it. So whether you're looking for a mate or you're looking for a trainer, there is still an innate reptilian level reaction to a person's appearance that for better or for worse might impact their willingness to say yes to you. And I think we have to, we just got to own that. 
we as humans, we have to understand that people are judgmental creatures and make first impressions. And we can be pie in the sky wishful thinking about how great it would be if everybody saw us for our skill sets first. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the potential customer will look at how we look. So I think that's a good point to jump off there. Amen. Let's remind people, let's build your social media, get you a few more followers. Do what, this, man. Remind people uh, where to find you. I am at Kevin Mullins, M-U-L-L-I-N-S, fitness.com, as well as, well, at Kevin Mullins Fitness on Instagram, and then kevinmullinsfitness.com is my website. Uh, I will be posting more. I've been, I've been doing better, Andrew. I have six posts in the last nine days. That's progress. There we go. So uh, I will be doing more. My hope is as 2021 goes on, you can rely on me for seeing behind the curtain. I want to be Oz. I may not be Dorothy or Toto or, or the Scarecrow and the Iron Man, Tin Man. Iron Man was Avengers, but nonetheless, I want to be Oz behind the curtain. I want to, I've been on the other side and I'm very excited to launch a product or two coming up. And that's not a shameless plug, but I've been in the corporate meetings and I really want to help commercial gym trainers understand for better or for worse, how they're seen by upper level management. It's not always good, but if you can at least understand the game that's being played above your head, it helps you better position yourself to be able to be authentic to who you are to build some level of a work-life balance, but also make sure you're never having negative conversations with management and above them in your workplace. So uh, I hope to unpeel that curtain over the course of the year without getting fired from my current position. (laughs) There you go. Um, Hopefully you'll be able to have the occasional conversation that will help the executive level understand how the gym floor works. Because, uh, you know, especially with the challenges this year, you know, I know from within organizations that I have people within friends within that uh, a lot of times management doesn't always think in terms of proactivity or, you know, the long game and, and we're seeing commercial gym, you know, the, the big chains or whatever. I mean, they're obviously struggling because of what happened this year, but I think they're, this didn't just break them. This highlighted a, a problem trend. I left a commercial gym years ago that was a dominant player in the local space and it is dramatically decline in terms of it's lost almost all of its of its strong trainers uh, you know people like myself dean somerset a lot more all left and they have lost dramatically market share closed locations and been forced to rebrand and rename themselves uh, and then major players like good life and la fitness came in and have soaked up a lot of the market right and now evolve the umbrella that i'm under is, is growing and expanding rapidly so you know it's, it's interesting. I don't want to go too far on that tilt because that's a whole nother conversation there about brand building and, yeah. and what CEOs I'll just, I'll sum it up as a person who sat in the rooms, CEOs and investors see how do you maximize square footage? How do you maximize employees dollar per hour type of thing? Is this something that if we do it will directly correlate to the bottom line or the top line? Um, Whereas once you've been on the gym floor, you know, it's about relationships. It's about having a very fluid layout of equipment so that multiple sessions can occur simultaneously having, you know, you know, CEOs and investors hate repeat equipment. What do you mean? We need another squat rack. We already got a squat rack. Yes, but we have 3000 members. We need more than one squat, you know, that sort of thing. Um, it's, it's being able to paint a picture that not everything can be measured on a PNL. 
And that's tough to do to people who speak money. But I think you're right. COVID highlighted that you can build a mega brand like any other business. But if you do not build space for those who build relationships to flourish, they will leave. And I, I've been saying it for years. The power is actually now in trainers for the first time in our industry's history. It used to be that like, if you wanted to make money, you had to find a good health club or a, a, a private-ish studio where in an affluent area of town. And that was it. You weren't going to, online training wasn't even a thought yet. It, it's like with online training, and I call it the Venmo PayPal economy, you can hide your money. Let's just call it what it is. Uh, cash is king, but you know you can make cash now without it actually having the client having to go to the bank. Um, and and just acknowledging that, I, I'm excited to see what turns in our industry over the next five years, because you're seeing more apartments and hotels having very amazing fitness facilities. You're seeing people building home gym, and so it's like, will the juggernauts last, or will the trainers sort of you know, gig economy themselves. It's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out, but I think everybody needs to be very forward thinking right now, think in terms of what can disrupt your business, what kind of expanded skill sets do you need? Jonathan Goodman is talking a lot about this stuff recently on his media and you echo some of his stuff. So I can't say enough about guys, just follow what John is saying on his Facebook. Certainly it's where he puts a lot of the stuff, his article writing, because uh -huh. you know, he's got his thumb on the pulse of what's happening. And, you know, he saw online training long before it became the, the, the big entity that it is. So there's a lot, of, a lot of wisdom there. So it'll help you with your search. And in the meantime, guys, thank you for listening. Uh, I really do appreciate the, the continual listening, the patronage here. Um, if you would be so kind as to take the couple of minutes it would take to give me a review, it would help me a lot. And if you're someone who is listening but not following on my social media or has never reached out to me, uh, you know, please, contact me, send me a message through Instagram. I always reply. I would love to, you know, have a, an interaction because it's not just about uh, sitting there quietly and absorbing it all. You know, I actually do love these uh, sort of engagements. In the meantime, uh, thanks again, Kevin. You're always a great guest. I appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, brother. And uh, stay tuned for whatever I come up with next week. If it goes according to plan, it should be Pat Davidson for the first time.